Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as you take a seat, and as our kids head back to Kids Church with Miss Rhonda in the Fellowship Hall, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go to the letter of Titus, which is in the New Testament. A um, little bit kind of maybe two-thirds or so of the way through um, the, the uh, New Testament there. And uh, this morning, we're getting into a passage that deals with everyone's favorite subject, and that is church leadership, church structures, okay? I, I know I'm sure you've been just dying to, to hear this all week long. Um, you know, as you, as you no, no doubt read and poured over this text over the last week, you said, man, I just can't wait to, to talk about church leadership. That's, that's everyone's favorite um, passage. And, and yet, so, so you might be thinking, well, man, you know, we just think about God's greatness and his goodness and how he holds us fast. And now we're talking about church leadership. Like, are, are you serious? Uh, wh- why is that? Well, uh, quite simply, the, the simple answer to that is we, we preach through uh, books of the Bible. And so as, as we've been walking through this section of the New Testament called the Pastoral Letters, uh, we we. I preach where we come next in, in, these, in these letters. So the, the pastoral letters are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and, and now Titus. And so the simple, uh, simple answer to that is this is where we are. This is where uh, the, the New Testament takes us. This is where Paul uh, goes in this letter. And, and we see that for Titus, at least in, in the church that he's serving on the island of Crete, um, Leadership was a, was a big issue. That's why Paul addresses it right off the bat here in chapter 1. After he introduces himself, um, reminds Titus of who he is, uh, reminds the people in Crete of, of who he is, and then he dives into church leadership. So we see that was a, that was a big deal, at least in this particular church that, that Paul's writing to. Um, so, so two weeks ago, uh, before, before Vacation Bible School, two weeks ago we introduced Titus and, and our time was primarily spent just reading the letter. It's a short letter. It's only three uh, verses we're, or three chapters. We're going to be here for about seven weeks or so going through this letter. It was written to Titus, uh, written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, who was a, a dear companion of Paul. Uh, now like Timothy, who we saw in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul calls Titus my true son in our common faith. So, uh, so they had a close relationship. They had served, uh, Titus had served alongside Paul through, through some of his missionary work and, and saw Paul plant churches. Um, and then Paul left Titus in, in this place called Crete to, uh, to continue serving the churches there. And we'll see a little bit more about that in just a second. This morning, we, we begin really the meat portion of, of the letter, focus, focusing on, as I said, biblical church leadership and, and simply asking the, the question then, what is God's plan for church leaders, particularly for pastors or elders? Now, this is an important topic for me as a pastor, as, as an elder. It's, it, it matters because in this, I see something of my job description. It matters for you, uh, particularly as, as uh, attendees and especially those who are members of of this church, it matters that we um, organize ourselves according to God's word. Not that we just simply set up structures and, and, and do things because that's the way we've always done them, or even uh, that we do things because, well, we're Southern Baptists and that's the way Southern Baptists do things. I love Southern Baptists, but, but we are not necessarily infallible by ourselves. 
So the question we always have to ask is, are we organized, even down to church leadership, are we organized according to Scripture? Do do we conduct ourselves according to what Scripture has said? And as I've said uh, multiple times throughout this last year as we spent time in these letters, uh, where we see a disparity between the way we do things and the way the Bible would have us do things, the, uh, the, the responsibility is on us to make ourselves match Scripture, not to say, well, this is what Scripture says, but we, we, we can get away with some things here, okay? No, the, the question we want to ask is, are we being as faithful as possible to God's Word? And so as we dive into uh, the book of Titus this morning, and especially in church leadership, I think we're going to see some things that, that might cause us to, to ask some questions about the way we're set up and, and, and some, some changes that we need to make. So uh, if you will, let's stand as we read the word of the Lord, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 this morning. The word of the Lord says this, The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. As as a pastor, as an elder, I feel the, the weight of this passage this morning. And so I pray you would continue to cultivate in my own life these qualities. That as a church body, we we would look for these qualities in other men whom you may be calling to to serve as pastors. That ultimately everything that we say and everything that we do would be according to your word. Where changes need to happen, whether those are in our personal lives or or in our life as as a church and how we're organized, that we would gladly submit ourselves to the, to the truth and the authority of your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. All right, so as I said, our primary topic here this morning is, is church leadership, okay? Biblical church leadership. In fact, I think that's how I titled it because I'm creative like that, and I could, I really just read between the lines here and pulled out a poetic freight. No, I'm just, just it's biblical church leadership. So we're going to see some things. We're going to see two primary categories of, of what church leaders are, and then in the second one, really, we'll, we'll see some more defining characteristics. Uh, but the first thing we see here, right off the bat in, in Titus, is that church leadership is plural, okay? Church leadership is plural, meaning not the, the pattern that we see in Scripture, at least the, the pattern that we can um, primarily uh, get from, from reading Scripture, is not... There is just a single pastor over a congregation. What we see as the pattern, as as what seemed to be normative in the New Testament, is there were multiple pastors, multiple shepherds over congregations in the New Testament. Okay, for instance, right here in in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you, here's here's the key, to appoint elders 
in every town. Okay, so, so Paul says, uh, Titus, I left you in Crete for two primary purposes, to set right what was left undone. Paul um, had gone through and had planted this church, so he'd, he'd been there previously in Crete, but he was unable to accomplish all that he wanted. Maybe you've been there, maybe you've seen some, maybe there's, there's been a long list of your, on, on your to-do list, a lot of items on there, and you're like, man, these are some great things I would love to see accomplished, and, and you run out of time. Paul had other churches that he was, that he was helping, that he was taking care of, and, and so he was not able to get everything accomplished that he wanted to in, in his trip there. So he sends Titus back, or he leaves Titus to, to uh, continue working and to, to set some things right, to complete the work of the ministry there. And, and listen, I, I find great comfort in that, in that even Paul was not able to complete everything that needed to be done. Like when he leaves, he says, boy, there's, there's still a lot of work to do here. Um, so Titus, I'm, I'm handing this off to you. So we see here the importance of raising up leaders. Uh, we see the importance of not holding on to positions with iron fists. We, we see the importance of giving leadership away, training leaders and, and giving leadership away here. There's a lot more to be discussed here that, that we simply don't have time for. But just understand, we see that, that Paul was intentional about raising up leaders around him. We'll talk more about that in, in just a moment. And then he says, I directed you to appoint elders in every town. Okay? Now, that, now it's interesting that he doesn't say to appoint an elder in every town. To appoint elders in every town. Now, this is not our typical Baptist way, so, so, so listen to me here. You, know, you might be thinking, well, isn't that just splitting hairs? Like he's saying appoint elders, he's talking about multiple towns, elders in every town. Can we really get from that that, that there are to be multiple um, elders in, in a single town? Um, so, so one of the things, again, we have to ask ourselves, is, this the, is the way we do church, is the way we're organized, the way we've always done it, or is it the most biblical way? Because the biblical pattern certainly seems to be a plurality of, of pastors or a plurality of elders, we have several places in the New Testament where we're told there are multiple elders in single congregations. So here, for instance, I told you to point, I left you to appoint elders in every town. Uh, but that's not all. So, so here, I've actually put some verses together for us here. You'll see these on the screen. Acts 14.23. We're told, when they had appointed elders for them in every church... And prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, so again, we have Acts 14. This is following Paul's uh, travels and, and journeys and planting churches. And we're told that they had appointed elders in every church. Again, plural. Acts 20:17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. So here we have a single church talking about plur, uh, multiple elders, Okay summoned the church, the elders of the church in Ephesus. Philippians 1.1, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers, that's the same word for elders, and the deacons. Okay, so in, in the Bible, what you'll see interchanged is the, the term pastor, the term elder, the term, the term overseer. Those will all be used interchangeably. Uh, it's, it's referring to the same office, that, that of pastor, that of a, a shepherd of a local congregation. 
1 Thessalonians 5.12, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the work and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Now, even though the term elder or pastor is not specifically used here, we, we can see that he's referring to the office of pastor, the, the office of the, the elder. He's saying to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord. Not, not to the one who labors among you. And then finally, 1 Timothy 5.17, he says, The elders, this is Paul writing to Timothy, who's, who's a pastor and elder at the church at Ephesus. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at t- preaching and teaching. So we see here that there were different, maybe roles even set up between the elders of a local congregation. Not all of them had the primary job of preaching and teaching. Some had the, some had the job of shepherding. At least not, not preaching and teaching in what we would consider like this, this corporate worship gathering. There are apparently some who, whose primary job it was to, to preach and to teach and others who had uh, other responsibilities. Okay, now, what we see here are are five passages from throughout the New Testament that seem to refer to a plurality of elders within local congregations. Now, now let me be very clear. This is not a salvation issue. Okay, so we're not saying like, I'm not saying if you, well, if you disagree with this, then you're not a believer and repent, you filthy heathen. It's not what I'm saying, okay? Um, and and we are never given, interestingly enough, we're never given like a first century church organization chart in Scripture. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, you know, as an appendix to your Bible, if there was just like this, this uh, flow chart of how, the, how exactly the local churches were set up. So, so in that, what I see is that we have some freedom to operate within the biblical guidelines. We simply have to ask then, what is the pattern or what, what seems to be the normative pattern of leadership that we see, and, and I will argue the pattern that we see is a plurality of elders in the churches. And in fact, what we're seeing, even among the Southern Baptist Convention, is more and more churches recognizing this and, and, and moving to this, um, to, to this model. Now, now, really quickly, let me explain what this doesn't mean, okay? Maybe that'll be helpful to explain what it doesn't mean, and then we'll get to the to the what, what I think this does mean. What it doesn't mean is that it doesn't mean that congregationalism is dead. Okay, so, so if we're talking about plurality of elders, we're not talking about elder rule. Maybe you grew up in a church where there were elders who made all the decisions and, and the congregation had no say whatsoever. We don't see that in the New Testament. In fact, we see the congregations, the, the congregations made decisions about how things should be done in their churches. So if we go back to Acts chapter 6, this is not on the screen. Uh, if you are so inclined to turn there, uh, Acts you, from Titus, you're going to hang a left uh, a, few cha- a few books to Acts chapter 2. Or excuse me, Acts chapter 6. I went to chapter 2 because I went too far. Acts chapter 6. And this is, this is where um, the, the church in Jerusalem appoints what we would recognize are the first deacons. Even though the, the term deacon is not used here uh, explicitly, it, we see these men serving the roles of deacons. And so in, in the way that the church in Jerusalem uh, went about setting these men apart to serve the role of, of deacon, we see something about the way that congregationalism worked, okay? So here's what we see. 
in verses 1 and 2, we see that the church leaders, the apostles, recognized that there was a need for more deacons in this case. Okay? They, they recognized there was a need for more. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 is what it says. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, okay, church is growing, at, that, that causes, but it causes some problems. Good problems to have, but, but still, church is growing, there's some problems. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So they're part of a growing church, and there are people who, who feel like they're being overlooked. So the twelve, here you have the apostles, the, the church leaders, summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, okay, so, so here, you have, here you have the church leaders saying there's this need. Okay, here's a need that has arisen within the church. So in verses 3 and 4, then what we're going to see is the church leaders call on the congregation to select qualified candidates. They don't parade these men before and say, here's the need, here's what we think we need to do, and here's the people for it. Instead, look at what they do in verse 3. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, so you have the, the church leaders saying, here's, we have an issue. This is what we think needs to be done about it. Now it's, it's up to you as the congregation to figure out exactly how this is going to work. And then what we see is the entire church appoints the new deacons in verses 5 and 6. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, and convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay? So we have the church leaders saying, here's a need. This is what we think the Lord would have us do about this need. You have the congregation recognizing men in their own church who, who met the qualifications. And you had the church as a whole appointing them. Now, I think this is, this is the same pattern we would see for, uh, this is the only place where it's spelled out this much, but, but we see later on the church appointing and sending out um, Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. We see churches appointing elders. And so there, there's no reason to think that this was not the, similar to the way that that was done as well. Now, according to our bylaws, uh, we, go through, we are to go through the nomination process for deacons in September. Okay, So you'll be hearing more about that as we, as we get to September. And, and, and this is the church leader saying, I recognize a need for more deacons. Okay, I recognize the, the need that we have for that. But also... I think we have a need for more pastors in order to be more faithful to the bylaws. Okay, so I believe in order to be not just more faithful to our bylaws, but in order to be more faithful to the Bible. I believe this is something that needs to be addressed. So here's what this doesn't mean, okay? It doesn't mean we have to add church staff. It doesn't mean we just need to bring three more men on and start paying them full salaries. That's not what I'm saying. Lay elders are certainly appropriate, meaning men who can serve in roles teaching, preaching, shepherding as laymen, as lay elders. Okay? It also doesn't mean we're going to stop having business meetings. 
I mean, we're still going to function congregationally. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop preaching on a normal basis, so I'm sorry if that disappoints you. Right? My, my, deepest, my deepest condolences if that... Right? It, means, it means I believe we'll need additional men to help lead. And it, yes, it means that from time to time you may see a, a different face preaching here. But listen, is that not part of the job of the local church? I, I think I've said this before, but, but for far too long, the church's approach to raising up leaders was we recognize a man who said, a young man who said, I feel called into the ministry, I feel called to be a pastorate, and the church's response was, awesome, we need to send you to seminary. The, the response has so often been, great, we're so glad that you feel called to ministry, we're going to send you away so you can get trained for that. Now, as I said, I just graduated from seminary. I'm a huge proponent of seminary. I believe that seminary does good things. But I think we've expected colleges and seminaries to do the job that's primarily been given to the local church to raise up leaders, to raise up preachers and teachers of the gospel. And so listen, all all I'm saying that we're doing here is we need to this is discipleship on steroids, okay? Not, not, Not just making disciples, but raising up leaders. Now we'll talk more again in a minute about the specifically some, some qualifications that are um, expected of the role of pastor. But, but if local churches were effective in raising up disciples, raising up leaders wouldn't be an issue. Leadership, I think, is a natural part of the, of the discipleship process, okay? Here's what it does mean. So those, those are things it doesn't mean. What it does mean, it does mean we'll have additional leadership. It does mean we'll be more faithful, I believe, to the biblical model that we see in Scripture. And here's what else it means. It does mean that we trust that God will lead us through the process where documents need to be updated, where bylaws need to be updated. We, we trust that God will lead us through that. When it comes time to identify and to raise up leaders, we trust that God will stir hearts and will lead us through this. Okay, so, so hear me. This is where I believe God is taking us. I believe it's where we need to follow. I, I first introduced this idea um, almost a year ago when we were in First Timothy. In fact, I remember that Sunday because we were in the fellowship hall while we were having our air conditioner replaced in here. So we saw it in 1 Timothy. We saw it again in 2 Timothy. Now we see it again in Titus. So, so here's my plan, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to present men to you next week and we're going to ordain them as pastors. No, no, what I'm saying is be in prayer about what this looks like for our church. As I said, we're not given a clear um, organizational chart in Scripture. What we are given are some principles that, that we can follow. So I'm asking you to be in prayer about what this looks like for our church to be in obedience to Scripture in the area of leadership. So that was point one. We're about a quarter of the way done. Okay, so so we see that biblical leadership is plural, multiple, okay? We also see that it's... that, that. that church leadership is called to be pure. So look with me at verses, uh, really the, the second half of, starting in verse 6, okay? An elder must be blameless. There we go, right there, pure. That, that's the, the whole idea is that, that doesn't mean that he's called to be faultless. That doesn't mean that he's called to be perfect, because if that was the call, no one would fit that qualification. 
Michelle would, would be the first one to tell you, no, okay, if, that's the, if that's the qualification, Kyle's out. All right? if, it's, if it's perfect. But he is, to be, he is called to be uh, faithful to God in his character and faithful in his commitment to the word. Okay, so the, the first word that Paul uses here to, to, to describe this is that he's called to be blameless. It means he's to be above reproach. So verse 6, an elder must be blameless. And then he gives some qualifications for that. The husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Okay, so, so here there, there are two kind of qualifiers of what it means to be blameless. Blameless in his marriage. It says the husband of one wife. Now, now maybe you've historically heard that that means that a, a man who's divorced can't serve as a, as a pastor. I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit and say that's not quite what this means. The, the literal term here is a one-woman man. There was a term for divorced in, in the Greek language. So if Paul had meant that, that uh, those who've been divorced can never serve as a, as a pastor or as an elder or as a deacon, um, he could have said that and he didn't say that. A one-woman man. Um, so, so we believe that God extends grace, right? I mean, that's why we're here. We're, we, we believe he extends grace when the praise team messes up. We believe he extends grace when, when, we, when we sin, when we fall short in our lives. We believe he extends grace when we fall short in our marriages. Okay? I believe there are a few circumstances that would, that would disqualify a man from serving for life, but, but I also believe that that list is shorter than, we've all, than we often tended to make it. Um, okay? But he's also blameless in his parenting. So again, not perfect. But what we see in Scripture is that the home is a proving ground for leadership in the church. In fact, in, in 1 Timothy 3.5, uh, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Right. So, so the, the way he describes this in Titus is uh, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Now, I think the, 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 the qualification is here specifically uh, while the children are under his own house. Because if, if you've been a parent and you have adult children, at some point you're going to learn that they make their own decisions. Right? Now, now we pray, we, we hope and we pray that as we raise our children in the Lord, that they make wise decisions but one of the things I had to learn as a youth pastor and that I've continued to learn as a pastor and now even as a parent is I have zero control over how someone else acts. I have zero control over what someone else does. And so the question simply is, is here, did we, if, if, if a man is to be considered for elder or pastor or deacon, did he raise his children in the Lord? Were they taught right? Even if they go off the rails, but in, in the, as long as they were in the household, were they respectful, were they obedient, was there evidence that they were being taught right? Okay? Again, perfection is not the goal here, right? And, and I want to thank you so much for not putting um, unrealistic expectations on my children. Um, it, my, my kids do not hate church, and, and I'm so grateful for that as a pastor, um, because I've seen Churches that, that would hold pastor's kids to a standard that they would hold no other kid. Um, and and I'm, I've been so grateful for the, the churches that we've served that have allowed our children to be, um, to be kids. 
to act like kids, to, to run in the church, even though we tell them not to run in the church, like, you know, there's no one like waiting to blow up at them when they do, when they, when they act like they're 10 and 11. Um, and so I just ask that you extend that grace into them, to them as they enter their preteen and God help us the teenage years as well. <laughs> Pray for us as we enter this, uh, the next 10 years. And uh, so, yeah, okay, so, so that's it. Blameless in his marriage, that he, that, he, that he serves his wife, he loves his wife well, that he, he leads his children um, as, as best he can in the Lord. Then we get to verses 7 and 8, and so, so we said he's supposed to be blameless in, in his marriage, blameless in his parenting, and then blameless in his character. And Paul here gives us a list of 11 things, okay, 11 items in this list. We don't have time to, to um, spend a lot of time on each of them, but there, there are five negative things to avoid and six positive things to cultivate. So again, as you're looking for deacons, as you're looking for potential elders, these are, these are the, the qualifications that Scripture would give us. By the way, the only difference in those two roles that we see in Scripture is that pastors are called to be able to teach, and that qualification is not laid on elders, or on deacons, excuse me. Elders and pastors are called to be able to teach, to proclaim uh, the, the word of the Lord um, in, in formal settings, so like this, and, and in informal settings. Deacons are called to serve, but the, the character qualifications are identical, and, and you can find those in 1 Timothy 3 if you're, if you're so interested. So things to avoid here. We're told to avoid arrogance. To avoid a hot temper, which those two things usually go, go together, right? So if you think you're more important than you are, people not recognizing how, how, as impo- people not recognizing how important you think you are tends to make you angry, right? But by, by the way, we've seen this recently with some high-profile pastors who got caught not in marital infidelity, but whose anger destroyed their ministries, whose anger and arrogance destroyed their ministries. Uh, not an excessive drinker. We don't have time to dive into the whole alcohol, no alcohol debate here, but the, the simple fact here is that um, the one who's going to serve as a pastor at least should not be a drunk. Okay? Can, can we all agree on that? Like, that's a baseline. Okay. Okay. Bullying. Don't, don't, don't want a pastor who talks down to people, who, who, who bullies them. We've seen some of this come out recently as well. Um, with, with pastors who would actually bully people into silence. Um, and then greed. Um, th- now, now, if you look at these, shouldn't these all be applicable like to believers in general so far? Like, like our, so what we're looking for then are, are men as, as pastors, men as deacons who exemplify these. So they're not called to, to um, different qualifications than, than believers would have than are laid on normal believers, other than those who serve as pastors and, and teachers are to, are to be uh, men who exemplify these, men who model these in, in, in God's grace and in his mercy and his forgiveness, but we, we seek to model these things. And things to pursue here, starting in verse 8. We're told they must be hospitable, must love what is good, be sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, Again, some of these sound like the, the fruits of the Spirit, right? And you might look at this and say, well, shouldn't these be evident in every believer's life? Yes. And that's the point. We, we can't expect the, the people of God in churches to act this way if leaders aren't living this way. The, the great line from 
a movie that's now almost 20 years old, uh, Remember the Titans, uh, Attitude Reflect Leadership, Captain. Remember that? Great, great movie. Leadership matters. I, I wouldn't go so far. Uh, we've had some, some secular writers who would say everything rises and falls on leadership. I think things in, in the church are a little bit different than that, but, but we still see God emphasizing godly leaders in Scripture for a reason, because leadership matters. So again, we want to emphasize, uh, again, I've said this over and over, but it's important. We're not looking for someone who's attained perfection, but, but someone who's mature and progressing in them. So, and see, here's the thing. So, so I think churches have so often focused on the, uh, on the, the husband of one wife, and, and specifically meaning uh, they wouldn't call a man who's been divorced as pastor. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation surrounding that divorce. Um, but, but so many have, have been negligent to apply the rest of those lists, right? Is he qualified to be a pastor? Well, he's never been divorced. I mean, you know, he might have some anger issues, maybe some greed. He might be a bully, but, he's, but at least he's never been divorced. And, and I would argue... In, in, in some things that I've seen in, in recent years, I would argue that, that men serving as elders who've been hot-tempered or bullies or greedy have caused more damage to churches than repentant divorcees who are serving faithfully. And the last thing is that they're called to be faithful. In verse 9. Faithful to the word of God. Paul says, holding to the, to the faithful message is taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So, so notice here, you know, we live in a world right now, in, in a culture, where it seems like we're constantly, uh, as, as believers and, and uh, some prominent uh, Christian leaders in our, in our nation are having to continually defend the truth of the gospel. Now, that's part of this, right? He says that to refute those who contradict it. But there's also a positive element to that. And that's what we do here, is that we would, uh, we would encourage with sound teaching. Right? So I, I, pastors bug me when they get up on Sunday morning and they constantly rail against the culture. Now, there's a lot to rail against. I mean, there, there's an endless supply of material I could get up here and scream for hours about how wicked our culture is. But, but listen, we need to realize that, that our world acts crazy. It acts lost because it's lost. And so we need to encourage one another. We need to, my, my job as, uh, my primary job as a preacher is to proclaim the truth of God's word that we might come to believe it and to know it so that we can defend it. And to do so with love and gentleness. And not with an angry fist on Fox News. I just question how effective that is at times. Yes, there will be times we have to defend the truth of God's word. But I'm just, I think those conversations happen more around coffee tables and 
cubicles than they do in the news media. The, 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 the effectiveness of those conversations happens one-on-one, where you're visiting with somebody who does not believe the Word of God, doesn't understand why you believe the Word of God, and wants nothing to do with God, and you're able to defend the truth and, and, and invite them to, as, as the writer of Psalms would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, teaching's been a, a key part of the pastoral letters. It will continue to be um, a, a key part of Titus, which makes sense, right? Paul's writing to those who preach and teach the Word of God on a regular basis. So this is biblical church leadership, at least as we're presented in Titus. That it's plural, and that it's, church leaders are called to be pure, holy and righteous, men of character. And all this is done, all this matters because we believe in a great God who sent His Son to be our Savior. That we would, that we would experience His grace in our lives as we don't um, live the way we're supposed to live all the time. So when we recognize things in our lives that would fall short of of the perfection that God's uh, righteousness demands, we're able to fall on the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, that you took my place. And out of obedience to God's word, we want to order our lives and our churches around the word of God. Now think about that. What a blessing. What a blessing that God's given us his word, that we can know him, that we can know his plans and, and listen, I think what an exciting time in the life of our church to ask, how can we make corrections so that we look more like the church that Jesus wants us to look like? There's not a silver bullet to seeing churches grow. In fact, any time like, a church experiences really explosive growth, I have questions. always makes me a little nervous. So... So listen, what I'm not saying is that we're going to make this change and suddenly we're going to have 600 people on a Sunday morning. What I am saying is that we'll be able to to stand upon God's word and say we are ordering our church as closely as possible with God's word. Are there more ways that we need to do that? Probably. Just so happens I'm in Titus and this this is where he is this morning. So let us be a church committed to following God's word, no matter what that means in our lives, what that means in our church, that we want to be a church that stands faithfully upon God's word. And now we're going to transition. We're going to celebrate um, remembering Christ's sacrifice on, in our place. That when we fall short of, of God's perfection, that, that we're able to fall back on Christ and on his sacrifice. And, and so uh, I'm going to ask our deacons to come and to prepare the table for, uh, for us to receive the Lord's Supper. And, and let me, as they're coming, let me just simply say, um, if you're here and you're not a member of First Baptist Church, the only thing really that we ask for you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us is that, uh, that you, are a, you would say, yes, I know I'm, uh, I've, I've been forgiven of my sins by Jesus. I've asked and, and uh, prayed and made him the Lord of my life. And then we'd ask that you've been baptized uh, as, as a believer. Uh, those, are the, those are the two requirements that we have. Um, if, if you're here and you've not done that, if you're not a believer, we just ask you to let the, let the cup and, and let the bread pass and, um, and, and take this time to, 
to ask the Lord just to reveal the, the truth of his word to you and his great love for you. All right, let's pray as we transition. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together as your people, united under the banner of the cross, saying we don't have it all together. That there are many ways that, that we're still being shaped and molded by you. And, and this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, would you remind us of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, freeing us from the power of sin and death, and freeing us to live in obedience to Christ and to the word that he's given us. Bless these next few moments as we remember. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.